Thank you, Scott and Sandra. If we've not met, I'm Pastor Mike Rams, and I'm actually wearing one of the mission trip shirts. So you see a few of them around here today. Uh, I got a chance to work with a middle school team this year. don't always get to do that, but I did this year and enjoyed working at two sites with those kids. And if you've never done it before, middle school is a great way to begin because you get to go home at night and sleep in your own bed. If you're high school, you've got to stay here with them. So, but middle school, we all go home, come back later that night, and so later the next day, so that's a great way to, to do a mission trip. We had, we had one family bring their child back from Arkansas where they moved last year. Their child said, I want to do mission trip. They brought them back. Another entire family came from Florida and they moved about a year and a half ago and they came back for their, their kids to be involved and, and uh, dad did a work site for us. That's pretty, that, that says a lot about mission trip and what it means, even though we're doing a local one now in United Mission Week. I'm sitting down, you see that, not because I'm ill or because I worked all week in the hot sun uh, for a mission trip. Uh, this is really a teaching message series on the book of Romans. I do a lot of preaching. This is a teaching series, eight weeks long. Uh, and if you want to go through the whole book, which I hope you do, we, of course, cannot do that just on Sunday mornings or in one 30-minute sermon time. And so this, this series, the entire book of Romans will be read with our GPS study guide series. And so you'll, if you do the GPS, if you don't, please think about doing it this season. Uh, either hard copy or online on your smartphone, Monday through Friday. When you're done, you'll have read the entire book of Romans. And you'll also get a chance to go Monday through Friday in a study that kind of guides us through it as well. So you'll have a more thorough uh, presentation of the book of Romans along with the messages on Sunday. And when you're done, you'll say, hey, I get that book. I know that book pretty well. So that's an offering to you. hope you'll take advantage of this time and this season. The book of Romans is an extremely important book of the Bible. It, it, it really is maybe the most important when it comes to explaining exactly what a Christian is. And, and I can ask you that. What is a Christian? You know, what's a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is it to accept Jesus as your Savior? Is it being converted? Is it being born again? Is it living by the teaching of Jesus? Is it being born in America? Many folks would say I'm a Christian because they've been born in America. Grew up in the church. I'm automatically a Christian. What is a Christian? Romans is about a word, and that word is saved. And that word saved goes beyond that word to so that I might be a good disciple of Jesus Christ and how those two words connect together saved. How I might experience that word in my own soul and experience and how I might live that out the rest of my life. Think about what that means. Now I want to share uh, several uh, things that are happening here. One of the things that's important to know is that when Paul writes this book to uh, the church in Rome, the largest church and many churches in the Roman world were in the city of Rome. It was the largest city of the Roman world. Folks had moved there from Israel because of persecution there, as well as economic problems there. So many Jewish Christians had moved to Rome. There were also many uh, Gentile, which means a non-Jew, Roman or Greek Christian who'd come to faith in Christ, were also part of that church and the multiple churches in Rome that were part of that, which was a very large city, over a million people back in those years. That was a tr- maybe the largest city in the world would have been the city of Rome. Churches made up of these people. 
And so Paul writes to them to explain some things to them about, okay, here's what a Christian is, here's what being saved is, and here's what I want you to do next. So we're talking about that today. And we'll share four people with you because, about four folks with you, because Romans is a foundational book for just the church, for Christianity, and especially the Protestant church, Church of the Reformation. Martin Luther, ever hear Martin Luther? Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. He spent his life trying to be religious and in many ways to be right with God and he felt like he failed every time. Uh, He wanted to be a good Catholic, a good priest, a good monk, filling all traditions and rituals and beliefs of the church defined at that time. Now, I'm not comparing the Catholic Church today with the Catholic Church 500 years ago, so don't don't, don't don't make that connection. So that's what he thought he needed to do. And then he began to study the book of Romans. He began to translate the book of Romans. And he came to chapter 1, verse 17, which says, He who through faith is righteous shall live. And he thought, oh, through faith I will live in righteousness. He'd always thought you had to be righteous and then faith would come. Here it said, no, faith comes first and then God makes you righteous. And here's what he said in response to that. And then I felt as if I had been completely reborn and had entered paradise through widely open doors. In other words, he finally got it. Got it It is about faith in Jesus Christ. And the Reformation began, and every Protestant church is birthed from the Reformation. The Methodist church included, Baptist, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, you name them, they come from that particular tradition. John Wesley, uh, he uh, grew up in, in what's called the Church of England. Once again, the church defined faith around the idea of keeping religious practices, of being a good person, of following religious principles and traditions, and that's what he did. And he was miserable trying to do that, even though he became a a, a Church of England priest. He lived very good. He served the poor in his world. He came to America to be a missionary and failed miserably in the process. And he went back to a place called Aldersgate, and there he heard a sermon. He said, I went very unwillingly. I didn't want to go and hear one more sermon. I'm paraphrasing probably maybe what he was thinking. He went unwillingly, and he went. And the sermon was on the preface to the book of Romans as written by, guess who? Martin Luther. And he heard the sermon, and here is his response. My heart was strangely warmed. That's an Old Testament quote. I felt I did trust in Christ, and Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sin, even mine, and saved me. So the word saved enters here today around the story of John Wesley who began the United and the Methodist Church. The Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans, you know, his own story wasn't that different. Though he was a Jew, a Pharisee. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. If anybody kept the law, I did. And the law was very arduous and difficult to keep. But he tried his best saying, if anybody did it, I did it. Until he found his way on a road called the Damascus Road. And there he encountered Christ on that road. Later on, he talks about it like this. 
He said, I was, before conversion, very zealous for the law and very religious. Later on, he spoke of himself as a person now justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ. What it meant for him. And, of course, the church was born through his experience there. My own experience was in October 22nd, uh, 1973 when I encountered Christ on a night watch in the Navy. And there, I experienced Christ in a very personal way. Having grown up in the church, though, I'd gone to church throughout my life, except the two years, I, the first two years of the Navy where I didn't go. And there on that night watch, I encountered Christ. And I would tell you in that season, that time, I said, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I give my life to you. And I would have told you, as I tell you now, I was saved that day. I called my twin brother on the phone who was on a ship in the Mediterranean, the John F. Kennedy. Not easy to do, to make those kind of phone calls uh, back in those days. No cell phones then. Uh, and he heard what I said. He said, you need to reconsider the claims of Christ. A few days later, he gave his heart to Christ as well and said the same thing I said. Mike, I've been saved. And we're both in Methodist ministers now for me 36 years and Steve 34 and a half years. Hear that word. As we think about the word saved, what this passage means, where it comes to the book of Romans, and how foundational it is to being a Christian. And I tell the sermon, it's good news. The first verse we want to look at with you today is Romans 1, 16. 1, 16. Bring your Bibles this series if you'd like. Follow along. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The first word I want you to look at there is the word power. The power of God is manifested through the gospel. We'll talk about the gospel in a second. But the word power here is from the Greek word, and I'll talk, I'll talk about Greek words in sermons, but this is a teaching sermon. The word is dunamis, which is the same word Alfred Nobel used to define dynamite, his brand new invention. How can I really interpret the explosive power of this amazing thing called dynamite? The Greek word dunamis typified that powerful, explosive sense of that word. And here it said that power, that amazing power speaks of the gospel that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now I want to put up a word here for you today. And that word is gospel. It's a word you've probably heard. Uh, it means good news. That's all it means. We, mean it, we make it mean different things sometimes today, but it's the word gospel. We just finished the gospel according to Disney. The good news we can discover in Disney, some Disney movies. And so we did that and made that connection with the scripture by doing that. What's gospel mean? What's good news mean? The word gospel is in the Bible many, many, many times. And Romans is in there quite a bit. It's in this verse right here. Uh, Jesus uses the word gospel. Here's what the word gospel means. It means simply, very simply, God sent his son into the world. His son was perfect, crucified for our sins, raised and dead to give us everlasting life. That's the gospel. God's son came into the world. God's intentional act... God's work given to us, God's Son sent into our world to save us. Now, the gospel is not just or necessarily the teaching of Jesus at all, not negating how important that is. It's not even the teaching of the Bible. 
It's not the Bible itself. It's God's act, God's intervention, God's intentional act for humanity by giving us Jesus Christ to save us. And that is the gospel. So it's that simple. The song that Scott sang, that's a song communicating the gospel. God's act for us because he loved us. And that act is the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying to to those folks, and maybe some of us, some of you think you are saved because you are Jewish. That means you're a child of Abraham. You inherited this in your blood. Uh, You keep Jewish laws, Jewish dietary laws, and you think that makes you right. I want to tell you right now, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that's what saves me. It's going to make more sense out of that here in the next few verses. Okay, Romans 3.22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, looking at the Roman letter that Paul writes to the Roman church, remember the Gentiles were there and the Jews were there, a Gentile simply non-Jew. The Gentiles came to faith in Christ from the pagan world. They worshiped pagan gods. The gods of, 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 of Rome, the gods of Greece, Zeus or Jupiter, Aphrodite, Diana, and they had this pretty wild and crazy kind of idolatry of what was going on in the pagan world. The Jews were those who kept Jewish laws. They're both in the same church, serving together. The Jews would say, many of them did, I am righteous because I'm descended from Abraham who got the promise from God. I am righteous because I am circumcised. That was a huge conversation in those days because the Jews would say to Gentiles, if you want to be righteous, you've got to be circumcised. If not, you ain't going to make it. They were arguing about that. You have to keep Jewish dietary laws. That's why we're righteous. You have to keep the Sabbath a certain way. That's why we're righteous. And so do you, the Gentiles. Jews would say that's the Gentiles. And so they were saying that I am righteous because I'm a descendant of Abraham, I keep these laws, I'm circumcised, you have to be too. So Paul writes, this righteousness is given. Okay, get that word. It is given to you. You didn't earn it by anything you've done or even who you are, or who your father is, or what laws you keep, or whether you're circumcised or not, or what traditions you're about. It's given to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this for me. Now, I have grandchildren. Many of you know that. I have nine, uh, and we love our grandchildren. Uh, Yesterday, I have a five-year-old granddaughter, and and she was acting five years old. No. Sometimes five-year-olds act like five-year-olds. How many know that? I've had occasionally I'll stop and, uh, stop and kind of share what I think about that with, other, with mothers and fathers who are lecturing their five-year-old. I'll see it. They'll have their five-year-old in the hallway. Their five-year-old is acting like a five-year-old. They're talking to them. Now, I want you to act like you're 25. Now, they're not really saying that, but, you know, they're trying to tell them to do that. They, if I really talk long enough, they're going to wake up and be 25. Uh, they'll, they, my five-year-old's like, and I said, no, a five-year-old's going to be a five-year-old until they turn six. No matter what you tell them, they'll still be five. She was acting like a five-year-old. Uh, and my, my daughter said, I was waiting for you to spank her because she deserved it. She said, you'd have spanked me when I was five. Well, this is my granddaughter, and that's different. <laughs> How do you know that's different? 
We ain't spanking our granddaughters. And so I'm not spanking his granddaughter. I don't care what, you know. And so what was I doing? I was giving her my righteousness, right? It was who I am as grandpa, granddad, is the reason I did not spank her. It's who I am reflected in how I dealt with her. Does that make sense to you? The King James says, it reckoned unto them as righteousness. It reckoned unto them as righteousness. That's what they get. And so that's what I'm reckoning her as righteous because of who I am, not who she is. Does that make sense? Okay. That's what Paul is saying. It's not who you are. I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. That's a matter of that. What matters is that you have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And there I'm going to share and write the next word. The word that we misinterpret all the time. Faith. Uh, so often faith presented as, if I've got to give a, come up with enough faith that I can make my world buckle to my will. If not my world, God. I'll have faith, and God will do what I want. My life will go the way that I want. That's not biblical faith at all. It's not what it means. Here, faith means confidence. I have confidence that Jesus is who God says he is. I have confidence that he will and can save me. I have confidence in the gospel and the power in that gospel of Christ, God's perfect son, dying and rising for me. Confidence, conviction, and trust in this truth and who God is and who I am. That's the idea of faith, and the word here is faith in Jesus Christ. So you see, the central truth of Romans is Jesus. Not just what he taught, but who he was and who he is, living, dying, and rising to save us because we cannot save ourselves. And that's number two, the act of God. Now, the third verse we're going to look at, is Romans 3.23a. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have heard that verse before? Many of you? You'll never, you'll always, you'll, from now on, if you haven't heard it, you'll raise your hand, you have. You've heard it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, let me go write that word up there now. Just the... Now, when I was a kid growing up, and I grew up in a church home, we went to church uh, regularly. Uh, my parents always went to church, had good, great parents, thank you God for them. And uh, I understood sin from my mother, who was the one who taught us that. And my dad was more likely to just be busy a lot, and, and so we didn't hear that much from him about sin, but we did from her. To my mom, at least this is our understanding of it as kids, was bad words was the most simple thing you could do. I mean... I mean, anything else, not get away with this. Bad words, you're dead, you know. And there was a list of those, you know. There was the worst bad word and the less worst, the less worst, but, you know, they all went down. And any religious bad word was really bad, you know, if it was related to a religious word that had been coined to move into uh, as a curse word. So that's how I understood sin that way. And smoking cigarettes is also really bad. Those two things, were, you don't do those. those, are, that's, those that's sin, Growing up. Now, the word sin, according to the Bible definition, is this it is to miss the mark. 
That's what the word really means. To miss the mark or to miss the target. That means that there is a relationship with, relationship with God that's available that I don't have. There's a way to walk with God that I have yet to experience. Uh, there's that picture of God's love for me that I can receive that I've yet to receive. And so I am a sinner. Now here's also what Paul is doing in the writing. I already mentioned the fact that, that the Jews in that church who believed in Christ thought they were Christians. Better Christians than the Gentiles because they kept Jewish laws. So they wanted the Gentiles to keep all those laws. They would say, you can't really be a Christian until you become Jewish like I am. You have to be circumcised. You know, don't Google that, by the way. If you don't know what the word is, just ask someone to be better. You never know what you find on Google if you Google the word circumcision. Uh, you don't keep the Jewish dietary laws. Therefore, you're not really Christian. You don't keep the Sabbath right. You're not a Christian. He said, you have to do both. Now, what Paul is doing here is saying he's, he's leveling the playing field. All of you have sinned. One ain't better than the other. You're all the same. And he says, of course, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, so hey, if I'm a sinner, the chief of sinners, we're all sinners. Get that right. So he's leveling the playing field here. He's not just saying that everybody sinned. He's saying, hey, we're all equal in this. Everyone needs God, faith in Christ, his answer to us to save us our souls. All of us need that. can't be earned. It can only be given. Again, the core of biblical faith, Christian faith. Well, the next scripture is Romans 3.24. And are justified freely by his grace of the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Romans 3.24. I'll put those, both those words down now. justified or justification and redemption now this is the core of Christian teaching core of Methodist Protestant teaching core of the word saved and saved to be a disciple the key to the series today the word justified is very simple it means that the one who has the right to judge me instead chooses to justify me he makes it right that even though I deserve to be judged for my sin, he chooses not to judge me, justifies me instead. He says, go, you're free. You're not guilty. You're not a sinner. I am justified. He treats me like I treat my five-year-old granddaughter, just the same no matter what she does or doesn't do, because I love her and I have her granddad, and that's the way it's supposed to go. So that's what I do. You know, it's based upon me and not her. Based upon me and all the kids, not not them. God says, this is based upon me. You're justified because of who I am, not because of who you are. I, I chose to give you my son when you did not deserve it. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. For you ever were born, he was crucified for you. So he's telling you, as who I am is the cause of your salvation, not who you are. Get it right, he's telling them. 
He's telling Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church, quit fussing about this and who, keep what, who keeps what sacrifice and who doesn't. It's about Jesus Christ. That's how you're justified. And we have the word redemption, a word you've heard many times in the church, I'm sure. The word redemption means bought or purchased. And the one who does the buying is the one that really sets the price. You said, I think that I set the price. I'll put in my car, it's worth $2,000, but no. It's only worth what somebody will pay for it. No matter what number I put on it. The number I put on anything does not create its value. It's the one who pays the price that decides the value of anything. Like I said, my house is worth $200,000, but if somebody's not going to pay it, it's not worth that. Right? You say, this coin I've got is worth this. If somebody won't pay it, it's not worth that. What we're being told here is the one who pays the price is the one who defines the value, and God defined the value for you and me around Jesus. We are redeemed by, as the word says here, the blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of God saves us. It makes that clean, clear, beautiful relationship with God that he wants us to have. And it makes life look like what it's supposed to look like. Our tendency is to make ourselves more than we are and God less than he is. By doing this, we'll say, okay, I believe that I'm saved by faith, but don't you have to do this too? Or say that or act this way or believe that? No. What was happening is the Jews were saying in that church, you have to do all these things and then you can become a Christian. Instead of saying that, no, you become a Christian by faith in Christ and then you live the way he teaches you to live as his disciple. That's the opposite way of living. And the church still has a tendency to back up to the very same thing and say, okay, here's the li- what you've got to do, and then when you get it all done, you'll be a good Christian. Instead of, no, I believe in Christ. I accept him, and therefore, I learn to follow him in my life. I struggle with what that looks like. I struggle with living that way, serving that way, giving that way, living out my faith the way that God wants me to live. And that's what uh, that, those verses there tell you today. Justified. Okay, then we look at Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Okay, there we have some of the same words uh, that are here again. It helps us understand what it means, and I'll put the last word up here, and then we'll talk about it. And that word is atonement. Atonement. And that's an easy word that looks complicated. At one meant. That's God's intent. The Bible is a story of atonement. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what the story is about. Historically, uh, in the words that are written there, in the events, sacrifices, acts in the Old Testament, the New Testament story of Jesus Christ, death on the cross, the teaching of Paul in Romans and throughout the epistles, that God's story is to bring atonement to you and me. That means to restore us, make us one with God. Restore us into a relationship with God. That's God's intent and what God wants to do for us. So the Bible's about that atonement, atoning work. Genesis to Revelation, Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, Jesus, the, the Bible tells us Jesus came to seek and to save the lost to atone for our sins, to make us whole and one with him. And God paved the way 
the atoning plan and work to restore us into that saved relationship with him. Now, why all that? Okay, there are two things. God is, and the Bible teaches us this, is a holy God. I could ask you what that means, but you really don't know. I really don't know. Because holiness is so hard for us to get a grip on because we're not holy. Holy certainly means perfect, without sin, without flaw. But God is hugely holy, overwhelmingly holy and awesome. And God's holiness automatically demands judgment of that which is not holy. Otherwise, God compromises his holiness, his very nature, the kingdom of God, and all of his creation. And God, I don't think, can do that and certainly will not do that. So in other words, God's holiness demands that he judges all the sin. And we've all missed the mark, so everyone deserves judgment. That's just the biblical teaching, and I believe it's the truth. But God also has a second attribute, and that is God loves us. And so God's love demands from the very nature of God to provide a Savior for us. We can't save ourselves because we are sinners. So we must send someone who's not a sinner, and that's God's, his only son, we're told, who was the only one who, without sin, and he died on the cross for you and me. And so we have God atoning for us in the act of God taking upon himself the judgment that we deserve, and now we are justified. We are redeemed. Sin is washed away. We live by faith. We grab hold of the gospel. Our life has changed. The core of the church and why there's a cross in the center of this church. And why once a month we have communion in there as well. The body and blood of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed for us. And that's the book of Romans. The beginning story of that that will build upon itself the Romans chapter 12 and beyond. And when you're done with this series with me, we'll be in a place where we can say, that's what the Bible teaches, and it will bring light on all the Scripture. Sort of life of faith in Christ that we challenge ourselves to live by and for, that, that we're taught by in these Bible verses. So hear those words, be blessed by them, and prepare for what is coming. Reminder again, uh, tomorrow morning, if you do the GPS or anytime tomorrow of the day, you'll read the first chapter Uh, most of the first chapter of Romans. Keep on with me, and you'll read all uh, 16 chapters of Romans. I also have lessons that go with that, connecting with the message series. When you're done, you'll have the core component of Christian faith, and you'll be able to say, I know what a Christian is, and I'm one. Will you pray with me, please? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words you give us today. Apply them to our lives. Help us understand faith receive salvation, walk in relationship with you, and experience God's faith the way you intend for us to experience it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.